Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Hey, Kaya, it's good to see you. It's good to be with you this Easter Sunday. And uh, hopefully our season of worship together as a church was edifying to you and strengthening and, and that it was a blessing. I, I pray that that you uh, can really meditate and think on uh, the death, burial and resurrection of our Lord today. And uh, I would suggest, you know, carving out some time in your day to just be reflective and to read from the Gospels and to take a long, hard look at what Christ endured for our sake. And, and I pray that that would be um you know, uplifting and, and, and strengthening to you. Um, I also want to thank Eric for uh, the time he spent recording a message last week. And, and I, if you haven't listened to that message yet, you you should. I, I hope that you go back and check that out. It was so practical. He talked about this idea of, of the weaknesses in our life should be, you know, um, heavily critiqued in seasons like the one that we're in so that they don't manifest themselves uh, later on, and that this season that we're in is actually really beneficial for us taking a, uh, a long, hard look at who we are and building new disciplines and new habits into our life uh, that would strengthen us and 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 build us up, so that when we get back to a little bit normalized Christian living, that we would look more radical and that we'd be more prepared uh, for the work. And and so I'm thankful for that message from Jeremiah. Uh, as we get started today and, and as we get into the word, I, I want to just go back a little bit and talk about what we've looked at in Acts. I, I warned you a while back that Paul and Barnabas are going to prove to be a, a model for us, a mold, a pattern uh, of what it looks like to be a mission-minded Christian. And uh, we're supposed to be looking at their lives as a testimony of how we ought to be living as Christians and, and, and what it looks like to be focused on the Great Commission. And uh, and if you haven't already figured out, their lives look a lot different than the one that the world has told us. So there's a, there's a mold that you've been given, and it looks like, um, you know, the nurturing of the world and, and the world system. And, and there's things that the world teaches us that look diametrically different than what we learn from the testimony of Paul and Barnabas. The things that we learn from them uh, is so much more different uh, than um, than what we get from the world. And, and you know, some of the things that the world teaches us is that um, we ought to speak in a way that is not offensive. You know, uh, that's something we learn from a really early age. And 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 uh, and there there's some truth to that. We ought to not be unnecessarily offensive. We should be living peaceably with all men. But what that turns into is uh, a lifestyle that avoids offense at every cost. And and we see from Paul and Barnabas that these men were not willing to let the offense of some supplant the gospel. In other words, these guys were living in a way that their their words were intended uh, to uh, take root in the lives and the hearts of men. And that meant it was going to offend some. And they weren't afraid of that. Now, the world also teaches us that we ought to build comfortable lives uh, of financial security and social certainty. Um, after September 11th, I was in, I was in college when, when 9-11 took place. 
and after that, man, it was just like the whole world um, kind of started working harder at having a greater financial comfort because they knew that the the, the, the markets were really unstable and we're going to enter into another season like that. And people are uh, going to become very, very conservative in the way that they see their lives because of what they really want is certainty. Yet these men, uh, Paul and Barnabas, lived in such a way uh, that uh, they were always thinking about financial modesty. They worked hard. Uh, Paul was a tent maker and he provided for himself. He worked hard to have just what he needed. And they were functionally transient and made a habit of being ostracized uh, by the society around them. And, and so in many regards, they lived a life that wasn't comfortable at all. And they weren't even concerned about comfort. Uh, they were concerned about making sure that the gospel got to who it needed to get to. And uh, you know, the world also creates a pattern for us um, and teaches us this idea of having uh, peace within ourselves and finding peace by reckoning things within ourselves. And that the only peace that we're going to have is when we begin to understand who we truly are and we understand, you know, our truths and uh, that, that, that peace comes from within. Well, where as Christians, we learn and this, from the testimony of Paul and Barnabas, we learn that we turn outward for peace. We turn to God for peace and that we turn outward for our purpose for living. Uh, and, and we turn towards the souls of men for our truer purposes and, and that we're going to find peace in, in looking to God and gaining peace from his promises. But also we're going to have peace by knowing that we're a part of his purpose, investing into the lives of men. And so that's, again, that's diametrically different than the pattern that was given to us by the world. Now, the world also teaches us to worship our bodies and to practice physical wholeness. And yet these men put their physical risk, our lives at risk every single day. They put their bodies in peril every single day that they went out and preached the gospel. And so, man, we, we see that there's something that's different about these guys and, and their Christianity and their faith is so mission minded that it flies in the face of what we understand Christianity to be within our world. And so what we're going to see today as we continue on and, and finish up Acts chapter 14 is we're going to see nine uh, ways of living. There'll be a checklist of, of nine different ways in which Paul and Barnabas lived, things that they did, ways that they saw the ministry work, and it's going to help inform our very existence. And so today's message is titled, uh, The Missionary Existence. And so um, let's pray real quick, and then we'll get into that. We have a lot to cover, and, and we've already been at it for a minute now. And so, so prepare your hearts, prepare your minds. Um, we need to be confronted with an existence um, that, that um, transcends the one that w that's been handed to us by the world and even by our cultural Christianity. So let's, let's call upon the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I need you. I didn't sleep real well last night. And so uh, I'm pleading with you, God, that, that what I share today from your word would be clear in terms of communication. And Lord, I, I pray that all those that are listening right now, that they're praying that that uh, their minds would be sharpened and that their focus would be in tune with you. God, we, we miss one another. And, and this is, in, in many ways, a, a feeble substitute for gathering. And, and so, God, I pray that you would make up the difference that your grace would um, bridge the expanse uh, that that exists because of our lack of proximity to one another. 
And so, Lord, I pray that that, that this attempt at being together uh, would be powerful and that it would um, it would draw us and it would help us in our time of trouble and need. Lord, we, we do need you. You are everything to us. Lord, use your word. Use Acts to teach us, to guide us, to build us up, um, and to make us the Christians that we need to be. Lord, help us to know what our existence is, the existential aspect of Christianity, the things that we do that, that, that are necessary to transcend the physical and to live in a way that looks like the divine, Lord. Lord, let heaven come down. Lord, let your uh, your very presence um, be with us and guide us in every action and every word. We need you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the missionary existence. Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 28. If you need to, uh, get online, get the PowerPoint, point, um, use it to, to help you take notes today. Let's do the work of, of actually uh, studying. Um, don't listen to this passively. Let's really get into it. Let's really challenge ourselves this morning. And so, again, forgive me for looking down a lot because that's where my notes are. Uh, but we must be sure of who we are and why we exist. Because if we aren't, then our current circumstances are going to do the work of stealing away our identity. And so uh, our, our, our current situation, if Satan has his way, is going to slowly rob us of what our existence actually should be because we've denormalized the, the way that we were learning to live. We're, we're being taken out of a discipleship context in, in some regards. We're being taken out of ecclesiastical um, um, living and we're put in this kind of fractured form of Christianity right now. And, and it is temporary. I know that. I know that it's temporary. I have faith that within the next few weeks, months, we're going to be back together and we're going to be stronger for what we're going through. That is, if we're reminded daily of why we live and why we exist. If we're right now allowing Satan to distract us from who we are, when we come out on the other side of us, many of us are going to be weak and decrepit. I follow this Instagram account called uh, Do You Even Lift? And it's a weightlifting joke, like satire account. And uh, it's super funny. So if you, if you don't follow it, you you should. But um, it's got all these images recently, these memes of what people are going to look like in a, in, a, in a month or two when they haven't been going to the gym day in and day out. And it's, it's funny because there are all these funny pictures of puny people and, and you know, people who are out of shape. And, and that's, what we're, that's what a lot of people are going to look like having not been in the gym for a couple months. And, and the same thing is true spiritually. If you are not in God's word, if you're not practicing prayer, if you're not living out the things that we're going to look at here in Paul and Barnabas's life, you're going to come out on the other side of this, a, a Christian weakling, when the truth is, you know, you can do spiritual push-ups. And you can, you can find ways of exercising within your home by, by living out and reflecting on and meditating on and reminding yourself of who you really are in Jesus Christ. We need to know what the missionary existence is so that when we, when we step out from our current situation, we will be that much stronger for it. So you ready to go through this with me? Uh, um, you are a missionary. Let's start there. You are a missionary. And so when we talk about Paul and Barnabas, we're not talking about, you know, the missionaries, you know, that we send out to the foreign field. We're talking about ministers of the gospel. Anyone who considers themselves a minister of the gospel, you are a missionary. And so Lorena Reyes, you are a missionary. And Jake Bush, you're a missionary. 
And Bobby Johnson, you're a missionary. And Julie Sidebottom, you are a missionary. And all of us are called to live a missional lifestyle. And so everything that we see about Paul and Barnabas ought to be true in our lives. And so this functions as a checklist for us. So the very first thing that we see, and this is going to be a bit of review, so bear with me. In Acts chapter 14, verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city. Okay, so we've talked about this. Paul and Barnabas preached, and they preached the gospel. That's what they preached. They didn't preach, uh, you know, you know, forms of the gospel shadows of the gospel. Uh, They didn't preach a partial gospel. They preached the gospel in every city that they went to. And it says here that city, that means that this was a wide open gospel. They went to wherever they could find a platform and their audience was broad. They would would preach to whoever would listen. And that has to be our mentality. Um, One of our missions as a church is to reach key cities for Jesus Christ to establish base operations in cities, Lee Summit, Tampa, Boston, Vietnam, anywhere in the world uh, that God leads us to is to establish a gospel ministry that will that will be a platform that's so strong uh, that it disseminates into other surrounding areas and we begin to take over. So it starts with Boston, but pretty soon it becomes Massachusetts. Pretty soon it becomes New England. And the gospel begins to spread. And that's the way that we have chosen, based on the model that we see in Acts chapter 14 in the ministry of Paul, that's our perspective for living. And that's how we're going to live. And that's what preaching the gospel is supposed to be doing, is it's supposed to be spreading. And that's the way that we function. So when we hear uh, that a missionary preaches the gospel, that's like saying that a basketball player dribbled the ball. Uh, you know, it's it's what we do. It's a basketball player dribbles, a basketball player shoots. That's what they do. A missionary, what they do is they preach. It's who they are. It's it's interwoven with their very identity, and that's how we have to see ourselves. It's impossible to be a missionary without a mission, and our mission is to propagate the good news through the foolishness of preaching. Romans ten fourteen says. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. That is who we are supposed to be. Now, right now, that's difficult. I get that. But if you're not practicing, you know, sharing the gospel through social media, who says you're going to open your mouth when you get out in public? After this thing is over, if you can't, if, if, if you are shy and bashful uh, and, and you're afraid to reach out your, to your friends via the phone or, you know, or through some, you know, through FaceTiming and, and to, to preach the gospel to old friends and family members, I mean, who are, who are you going to be on the other side of this? This is an opportunity to build some serious, uh, you know, uh, strength uh, in terms of your gospel witness. If, if you can put yourself out there in this season, man, who will you be when we come out on the other side of this? If you've trained yourself to preach the gospel in every circumstance, in every season, and, and you've practiced the fool even now, then you will be that much more mission-minded as it concerns preaching on the other side of this season. So key point, here's our key point, and the first thing on our checklist, we exist to deliver a message to those who need it. That's what we exist to do, to deliver a message to those who need it. And if at any point in your life you can say to yourself, well, I'm not actually doing that work. 
I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing that. Well, then you're failing to live missionally and you are, you are in danger of forgetting why you exist. So, so the very first thing we see in Paul and Barnabas is that they preached and we ought to have that as an integral part of who we are even now. The other thing that they did is they taught. Okay. And it says, uh, and had taught many, uh, not to the whole city this time. Okay. But, but, you know, is this is a less public congregation that they're teaching. Um, and this is the equivalent of their pulpit ministry. And so this is, this is carved out space where Paul and Barnabas divide God's word and they provoke others to love and good works. And, uh, in a world that we live in, it is so common to have preaching that neglects doctrine. And many of us grew up in churches like this, where you went to church and there were many, you know, wonderful truisms, good moral teaching and, uh, you know, provocation to, to morality. Uh, and there may have even been, you know, congregational pandering where the messages conformed to the, you know, to the expectations of the group, uh, to the to the people, but did not mirror what Christ wants from a pulpit ministry in terms of teaching, uh, you know. And so we've got to, you know, we have to understand that when we talk about teaching in the church, when we talk about congregating, what we're talking about is the teaching of doctrine. And we've got to have doctrine. We have to have theology in our pulpits. And when we come together and we gather ourselves, even when we're talking about our Bible studies, whether they be physically in front of one another or they're, on, they're online, we cannot neglect the need of doctrine. We ha- Bible studies have to be Bible studies. They can't be cell groups and they can't be community fellowships and they can't be whatever other variation on that term that you want to use. Um you know, small groups, okay, that whatever. At the end of the day, those spaces have to be about learning doctrine, learning what God's word says. And the pulpit is integral because it is where young believers get their spiritual legs. This is where milk turns to meat. And we may start uh, as weak believers, but in time, the pulpit ministry should be pushing us and growing us and provoking us in a way that gives us the strength to receive harder and deeper truths. We need the pulpit ministry. We exist. Okay, so here's your next key point. We exist to be refreshed and renewed within the congregation, within the congregation. And while I'm thankful for the season, you know, we're all feeling the void. We all feel the void. Um, in, in the absence of gathering together, there's something that's truly missing. And so we know that this is a weaker variation on what should be going on. But trust the Lord, trust your pastors. In time, we're going to get back to a place where we're congregating and we're meeting that need. But you know what? Um, you know, Paul and Barnabas, when they were on the mission field, they didn't have their local church. There were seasons where they weren't with Antioch. And those were trying seasons, I'm sure. And we see at the end of this chapter, they go back to Antioch to get refreshed and have that time together uh, to get built up, only to be sent back out. Now, now, now here's the point. There are going to be seasons in which that we can't gather, just like this one, uh, just like this one. Uh, and in those seasons, you know, we have to trust the Lord. But ultimately, we know that we need the local church. And we long for it. We long for it in the absence of it. We long for it. We need communal times together where we're being taught 
and we're being called out within our spirit for greater purposes. And so, so we exist to be refreshed and renewed within the context of the congregation. Next, we see that the uh, that Paul and Barnabas confirm the souls of the disciples. And what we mean by that is that they they propped up. The word confirm means they propped up uh, and established a structure necessary for growth. And again, the, the easiest thing for us to do is remember the illustration of, you know, a tree that's being, you know, that's being affected by the wind of the world, you know, false doctrines. And we have the ability to tie that tree off, to give it structure, to do things necessary uh, for it to grow properly. And that's what this is. This confirming is a propping up. It's an establishing of a structure that allows them to grow. Uh, Those that received the teaching um, were confirmed. They were taught at, at a deeper level and they were proven out in the context of ministry. So when we're talking about being confirmed, uh, what that means for us is that we are establishing one another within the doctrines, and we are living a ministry life that proves out what it is that we're learning. So another good, good example of this it would be, um, you know, like in a science classroom at university, maybe you're in a big lecture hall and you're learning from a teacher and maybe they're giving you, you know, uh, science principles or, or, or what, however they, they teach. I was in an earth science class and it was like the history of earth science. Um, and a lot of the things that were being taught to me went over my head, mainly because I'm just not that smart and I don't learn very well. Um, you know, just from auditory lecture. And so I have to apply my hands. And so when I got into the lab, there was a lab that was necessary for graduation for that credit to, 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 um, um, to work. I had to have a lab associated with that science class. But when I got into the lab, uh, the instructor gave us, um, you know, opportunities to learn through practice. And so we would do experiments and we would analyze and we would consider and reflect and do research. And that is when the things that I was being taught in the lecture context came alive for me. And I, you know that this is true, that, that practice allows uh, activation of the things that we're learning. And so this is what that confirming means. This is why pulpit ministry alone is insufficient. Uh, we have to go beyond just learning and begin practicing what it is that we're learning. So here's the next key point. We exist to teach biblical concepts fit for faithful practice. We exist to teach biblical concept, concepts fit for faithful practice. Okay, so to tie this back to the overall theme of what we're talking about is that in terms of the mission and being mission-minded and what our existence truly is, each of us as ministers, each of us as missionaries should be working to not only teach with our mouth, but give our disciples, to give other ministers that, 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 that we do ministry with opportunities to practice their faith. We have to have opportunities to fail, to struggle, uh, to work through um, in, in a mentorship setting. Uh, we have to have opportunities to grow and practice our faith which is why discipleship is so crucial, uh, which, is, which is why the church, the local church is so crucial, is because it gives us an opportunity to put into practice the things that we learn, okay? So the next thing is, number four is that they exhorted. And exhorting, they 
so, so to get back to the passage and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Okay. So when we talk about exhortation, this, this word, a lot of times I think that we get confused. We think that this term means uh, like bossing someone around or telling someone what they ought to believe or what they ought to do. But the truth is the word exhortation means coming alongside someone and encouraging them in truth. In other words, it's like in that lab setting, the professor coming alongside of me. And when I fail at what I'm doing or when I'm struggling, uh, they're pushing me the right direction. They're helping me correct things. They're, they're hopefully lovingly telling me what it looks like to do it the right way and helping by affirming. And that's what exhortation is supposed to be. You know, many of you in Kaya are some of the most wonderfully kind people I, that I've ever met. And, uh, you know, it's it's not uncommon for me to get a letter from someone in the ministry. It, it, sometimes you guys even mail it. Sometimes it's not even just a Facebook message or a text. But I'll get, I'll get a letter in the mail in 2020. Uh, uh, you know, Malaya is excellent at this. She'll send me a note from time to time just telling me uh, that she loves me and that she's praying for me. And uh, man, what a what a wonderful, wonderful gift it is to have the gift of exhortation. And all of us ought to be practicing it because exhortation ultimately um, is, 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 is the practical outpouring of our love as we confirm one another, as we're propping each other up. We all need exhortation. We all need to hear loving and affirming words from one another. Uh, you know, Barnabas, I don't know if you remember this, but Barnabas's name means son of exhortation, right? We talked about this earlier on in our study, and we all ought to be sons of exhortation, and, uh, and, and we ought to be practicing that in the lives of those that we love. And so that leads us to our another key for our existence. We exist to stabilize the weak, incite their faith. And prepare them for trial. And what I mean by that, if we look at the passage, we, we remember that, um, that their exhortation was towards faith and to remind the believers that trial was coming and, and how to endure in hardship. And so when we do exhortation in the context of our ministry, when we're speaking with one another in ministry, uh, we ought to be doing that in a way that bolsters the faith of the people that we love. Uh, and then it also warns them that, that trials are coming, and this is how you endure trial. This is what it looks like to endure affliction and to endure the struggle. And here, let me even come through that with you and to practice tribulation with you. Look at my life. This is what it looks like to endure a burden or a struggle or suffering. Now you go apply that. And now let me walk through that with you. Let me affirm you. Let me strengthen you. Let me encourage you. Uh, in those seasons, I want to come alongside you. And that's crucial to our existence. If you're going to be missional in the way that you live, you have to learn how to exhort people the right way to incite faith and to prepare others for the trials that are coming. Now, next, they ordained. And when, it says in verse 23, and when they had ordained them elders. Now, I want to tell you this. I've discipled many men. And, um, and there's, a, there's nothing better than discipling someone and training them up. But there's something really, really unique about watching uh, the people that you invest in ordained for ministry. Um, you know, I have to say that there 
there have been very few times in my life uh, that have rivaled the happiness that I felt uh, the day that we ordained Jeff Gracier. And uh, and I'm going to cry. I'm talking to a computer and I'm going to. Yeah, that was just one of the happiest days of my life was to watch my dear friend, Jeff Gracier, uh, um, become a pastor, to be ordained for the work. And I spent years with him in ministry. And I spent every Saturday with him uh, preparing in the word and talking about what it meant to be a minister. And to watch uh, in time that result in his ability to replace me in the high school ministry. For some of you who know, I used to be the high school pastor. Uh, and Jeff took the reins of that ministry. And um, man, there's nothing more powerful than watching uh, someone be ordained or con- uh, confirmed for the work be sent out. And, uh, you know, I know that many of you have discipled and, and you've seen and watched your disciple grow. But one day those disciples need to be commissioned to fulfill the call in their life. And so we're going to watch in time. People sent out from this local church, Midtown Baptist Temple. We're going to watch our disciples go and plant churches. We're going to watch them go and start new ministries. And hopefully some of us are going to see our disciples take over ministry for us. And we're going to hand over our ministry responsibilities to other faithful people. And this is a crucial aspect of what we do. And so that leads us to our next key point, our next reason for existing. We exist to commission leaders to fulfill the call. That's what we exist to do. And we can't forget that. Let's not forget, like, again, let's not in this season of of distraction, this season of hours of Netflix and, um, you know, you know, hours on end of, of perhaps wasting our time. Let's not forget that our responsibility is to train up people so that we can commit, we can commission them to live out the call on their life. And we've got to be about that work. We can't neglect it. And so really what we ought to be doing is using that time of entertainment to get on FaceTime, to get on Zoom and reach out and and to to, to invest because we know at the end of the day, our job is to train up and and to to employ people and to, to build them up and prepare them for the call on their specific lives. And so we have to be about the work of ordination. Now, the next the next thing that I want to look at is actually um, number six and number seven, both. But I'm going to talk about them together because they're so interwoven. And what we're going to talk about is prayer and fasting. Okay, Paul and Barnabas, they prayed and they fasted. It says, and had prayed with fasting. Now, we can pray without fasting. That's absolutely true. And so we can, um, you know, independent of fasting. We can pray and we ought to pray every single day, whether we're fasting or not. It should be a crucial part of what we do, but we we can't really fast without praying. Um, Fasting requires that we make a habit of praying and calling upon the Lord. And it says says here that they prayed and fasted and, and, and Paul and Barnabas began their mission this way. They began their mission in Antioch with prayer and fasting. Acts 13, two says, and they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Paul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands 
on them. They sent them away. And so this is how their ministry started. And this is how their first missionary journey actually ends as well, is through praying and fasting. And so uh, if you didn't already know it, we're a church of prayer. And, and that's, we try our, our darndest to make prayer a crucial part of everything that we do. And so when we come together, we start by praying, we end by praying. We have prayer ministry. Uh, we make prayer a crucial part of our Bible study time. We pray in discipleship. We pray as a matter of friendship and fellowship with one another. We're not afraid to say, hey, let's pray. We're not afraid to do that. So in practice, we are a ministry that prays. And we ought to pray and fast because there's something unique about the work of fasting that disciplines our mind. It, it, it divides us and separates us around from, from the, the habits and the addictions that we, we aren't even aware of. And it puts us in a position of vulnerability before the Lord and discipline for the Lord. And it makes the focus of our prayer that much greater. And, and it, you know, I don't have time to expound on all the reasons that we ought to fast, but we, we ought to. And it's a part of what the church does. Um, you know, William Carey, I, I want to give you a quote from William Carey, missionary William Carey says, prayer. Secret, fervent, believing prayers lie uh, lie at the root of all personal godliness. And so the, the work of a godly believer is to pray. We ought to be praying. And so that leads us to uh, our next key point. We exist to commune with God and beckon his grace. That's what prayer and fasting is about. It's about communing with the Lord. Uh, our will being confronted with his will, our personality and our character being confronted with his perfect holiness and allowing ourselves to be judged in the quietness and, and, and the meekness and the humility of prayer. Fasting is a part of that. Fasting is about humbling ourselves and, and putting, in ourse- putting ourselves in a position where we're that much more malleable in the hands of the potter. And this is, this is about beckoning his grace, calling upon him, Lord, would you use me? Would you make me like you? Would you prepare me for something greater? Would you make me fruitful? Lord, pour out your grace into my life and use me, the weakest of all vessels, the chiefest of all sinners. Would you use me uh, to obey you and to be fruitful? And so our existence as mission-minded believers has to, has to be about prayer and fasting. Number eight. It says they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Uh, they commended, okay, and that word commended means that they gave them over. The people that they invested in, they gave them over to the Lord. They knew that it was their responsibility to establish the work in order to ultimately turn it over to the Lord, to use someone else to execute the Lord's will. They had to give the work, they had to entrust it to God. The thing that they labored for, that they poured their lives into, it required a turning over or an entrusting to God. Their work was done, okay? Their work was done. They knew it. The the work to Asia Minor, the first missionary journey, the establishing of those churches, that work had been done. They had to determine it. We'd done our part. Now, God, this is all you. It was always about you. But now we're leaving it to you. I am no longer here to labor. I'm turning it over uh, so you could have your way. 
And, and this is a really hard thing for us to do sometimes. Um, here's our key point. We exist to entrust our spiritual children to, o- to the oversight of God. We exist to entrust our spiritual children to the oversight of God. And I know that for those of you who've discipled and have invested in others, that there's a powerful bond that comes through discipleship and, and, to, and to living that kind of life, sharing life with someone else. But many times we, we feel like mothers and fathers and our investment is so deep that it makes it really difficult for us to, to know when to let go and to let God have his way with those that we invest in. It's hard to do that. It's hard to know how to do that. We want to hold on tight. We want to insist we want to we want to um, you know we want to assume that that if we don't have a voice or if we're not involved that somehow God is not going to have His way and and that's just not true uh, and and for those of us who have trouble with you know let me give you an example uh, when uh, we we talked about you know when I gave over the ministry uh, the high school ministry to Jeff there was a lot of times where I felt like uh, I had to, I had to have my say, you know, um, and, and there were moments where, where Jeff came to me and he wanted advice. Okay. But sometimes I confuse that. Um, and, and I, there were moments where I was tempted to tell him what I think he, that he, that he should do when the, the truth is I gave that ministry over. I, I commended it to the Lord and that ministry, I handed it off to the work of Jeff, but I commended it to the Lord. And because I trust the Lord, I can trust Jeff. I can trust that God is going to speak to Jeff and to show him the way and that he's going to use this as an opportunity to further the work in a way that I would have never been able to do unless I entrusted it, unless I commended it to him. And if there's uh, some of you who are struggling with doing that, um, and I'm not saying that, you know, you don't abandon a baby, okay? And so if the person you're investing is a baby, you should have a lot of hands-on activity, but as they grow and as they develop and as they get stronger and as their knowledge of God's word grows and as they are practicing their faith on their own and they get their legs underneath them, man, you've got to learn how to let go. And if you're struggling with how to do that, I suggest turning to the book of John. John chapter 17, uh, verses 6 through 19. Uh, Jesus is turning over the disciples to the Lord. Even Jesus did this. Even Jesus entrusted the work to God the Father and the oversight of the Holy Spirit. And he prayed a prayer that's so powerful for his disciples. We ought to learn how to pray that for those that we love as well. Okay, finally, I know that this is a longer message, so bear with me. Let's let's finish up here. Number nine, the last thing that we should be checking off our list, the last aspect of our mission-minded existence ought to be that we rehearse. Okay, let's let's talk about what that means. Verse 24 says, And after they had passed throughout Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Atalia, and thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, the church in Antioch gathered together their home church. They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. Okay, so this is what happened. They went back home to their home base, to their church, and they gave a report of all the things that God did. Okay, now now what I want to say here is what's significant to know 
is that they communicated the work of the mission and the ministry as it happened in their lives. They gave testimony. They testified. Now listen, we have an opportunity to hear the testimony of those that God has, has, has used and has blessed and has strengthened. We have an opportunity to do that. And the fact that we're not gathering together physically does not affect our opportunity to bless one another with testimony. This is why I asked you guys to give your testimony online. Now, I know many of you haven't do it, done that yet, but I want to encourage you, do not be afraid. Take the time to share your testimony. And not only to share your testimony of salvation for the sake of the lost, but to share your testimonies constantly and continually and rehearse them in the ears of your friends, of those you fellowship with, of those in your Bible study. All right, there's there's nothing that's keeping us from practicing, rehearsing those things. What God is doing in my life. Here's what God's done. Here's what God's done. We rehearse because we need to share all the ways in which God helped us to prevail. In other words, we need to be sharing and encouraging one another with stories of how God prevailed and gave us victory in our lives in times of suffering. Um, The church ought to have attentive ears. We ought to have attentive ears. We ought to be quick to listen to these stories because we need them. I don't know if you guys caught the last Postscript episode, but I'm interviewing Brian Clark in these episodes, and he shared the testimony of how he was broken in the first few years of ministry in London and how God broke him down and then taught him again to believe and to trust in the calling on his life. And it was so powerful. And if you haven't heard it, I, I encourage you to go listen to that testimony. But we this is why we need men like Brian Clark. This is why we need uh, we need opportunities to hear from. This is why we have mission focus in the first place is so that we can have the missionaries come back to those that support them to those that invest in them and lift them up in prayer. We need to be hearing and and hearing them rehearse the things that God has done in their lives. We need to hear their testimony because ultimately it's an encouragement. Listen, here's the last thing that we need to know. As mission-minded believers, we exist to report on the work. We exist to report on the work. We have to be reporting. We have to be rehearsing in one another's ears uh, all the things that God has done. And, And we as the listeners ought to reflect and meditate and be encouraged and strengthened by the testimony of the believers that do the rehearsing. Now, listen, I I just rattled off um, nine different aspects of our life that should be true. This is the pattern work. This is our identity. This is our existence. This is who we are. Okay. Uh, This is who we should have been 10 months ago. This This is who we ought to be right now in the midst of the quarantine. This is who we ought to be when we come out of the quarantine on the other side. We exist to be this type of person. And and the question is, are there any aspects of this existence that are untrue in your life? In other words, check your identity right now. Are there aspects of your life that are missing the mark in terms of of being a missionary? Are are, Are there any areas of this that you are not practicing and growing in in terms of, of strength. You know, after um, 
you know, after this Sunday and after this trial and after hearing this message and being in Acts chapter 14, um, there's not a one of us that shouldn't be more sure of our identity. In other words, this trial should actually prove out who we are. And the areas that don't match up, just like Eric preached about last week, the areas that don't match up, let's work on them. Oh, I, I don't I don't pray enough. Okay, it's time to get up early. It's it's time to go and, and find a quiet place, your special place where you meet with God. It's time to start that discipline. Oh, well, I'm not very good at exhorting. And, and so I, what do I do about that? Okay, this is a moment where in, in isolation and separation, you have to work that much harder to get a hold of someone and exhort them and to spend time and practice encouraging them. Write them a letter, send it in the mail, send them, send them a message, uh, call them, FaceTime them, FaceTime them, you know, Facebook message them, do whatever is required, practice exhortation. Well, I'm not, I'm afraid to share my testimony. I don't think anyone wants to hear my testimony. That was what Ashley uh, said last, uh, last Tuesday when she was sharing her testimony. She was afraid that no one wanted to hear her testimony. When the truth is, we're, part of our existence is to share our testimony, is to rehearse in other people's ears what God is doing. Here's my point. If there's any area or aspect of this list that is deficient in your life as a missionary, it's time to fix that. It's time to work on that. Let's pray. Let's call on the Lord to help us. I love you guys. And I miss you so much. And uh, it really, it's, um, I'm struggling with my identity. Let's put it that way. As a pastor, I'm struggling with who I am. Without you, I don't, I don't know who I am sometimes. And uh, I exist to invest in you. And when I don't have that, I have a hard time remembering who I am. And so I've, I have to have these moments. This is so good for me because I have to have these moments where I'm sitting and I'm thinking, God, who am I? Who did you make me to be again? And what would get in the way of that? I need to know who I am. I need to know why I exist. I need to know the work that God's given me to do. I need to know who I am in the quiet place. God, who have you made me to be? I'm your child and I have a calling and I have to live that out regardless of my circumstances. Help me, God. Dear Lord, we need you. Uh, Lord, we love you and we're thankful for salvation. And Lord, uh, we're thankful for the work of sanctification. We're thankful for Midtown Baptist Temple and all that it's meant to us. But Lord, right now in this moment, we're struggling. Who, who are we? Who are we as a church and who are we as individuals? And what have we been called to do? And Lord, I just pray that you would be speaking into the hearts and the lives of the people uh, that are listening to this right now. And Lord, I just ask that you would be showing us very specific ways that we can begin to live out our existence, that, that, our, that this existential idea of who we are from your word, uh, Lord, that it would have a reality, that it would be that it, would, that it could be lived out, that there would be a lifestyle and a, a practice associated with it, and that Lord, we would work that, and that we would discipline ourselves to obey you in every regard, so that we might be conformed to the image of your Son through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the learning of your Word and the execution of ministry. We would be conformed to the image of your Son, 
and that nothing, not even our circumstances, would get in the way of living that out. Lord, prove us out in this season. Strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say that I love you. I'm thankful for you. I ask for God's blessing on your life. If you need me, email me. Give me a shout. And uh, and I'll meet with you again soon. Uh, I love you, Kaya. Be good. today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.